Psalm number 30. Drew, another psalm sermon. He's the one that usually gives me a hard time when he walks in and sees another psalm sermon. It's been a while. It hasn't been too many lately. But uh, psalm number 30 here. I want to speak on the subject of the God who changes things. The God who changes things. So Psalm number 30, beginning verse number 1. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is light. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded uh, girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Question for you this morning. How's your heart? your heart troubled this morning? I thought of the word, the classic old gospel song, uh, the song, Do You Know My Jesus? First verse says, Have you a heart that's weary, tending a load of care? Are you a soul that's seeking rest from the burden you bear? Make a deal with you this morning. I'll be honest with y'all, if y'all be honest with me, honest with yourselves. How's your heart this morning? Is it troubled? Is it tired? It's aching, it's frustrated. Being honest, I'm frustrated. I've been, seems like, you know, can't get to feeling well. It was out last week with, uh, with COVID, and then, uh, you know, it seemed like just a few weeks ago, right before Christmas, had the flu, just can't seem to catch a break from the health front. Uh, hurting for family, our community. They're just going through just unimaginable. I'm tired. Fighting with a frozen and broken water well that took me almost a week to get back going. I did about everything but drill a new well, it seems like, to get that thing going again. I'm not trying to complain or badmouth God or anything like that. I'm just trying to be open with you because I've had so many people this past week, past few days, I've interacted with, I've talked with in our church, outside of our church. Seems like everybody's having a rough time. Seems like everybody's struggling a little bit. I thank God for those who have it all going well right now. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who has it all going well right now, but if you do, I'll rejoice with you. Uh, Paul said, rejoice within the rejoice. I will. Thank God if you've got everything going well. But right now, I, I want to be a comfort to those who are burdened and getting uh, on How are you doing? I, I was honest. I want you to be too. 
I, I can't stand the idea that's out there sometimes with, in Christianity that Christians just have to be, um, you know, super Christians and they can't have emotions. And, and you know, nothing. You have to act like nothing ever goes wrong. Guess what? Stuff goes wrong for Christians too. We can have burdens. We can we can carry those. Um, by the way, Galatians 6.2 says we should bear one another's burdens. So that means we need to be open with our Christian family about the burdens we carry. I don't think there's really a place in true Christianity for putting up a thought that we've got life under control. Have you got heartaches? Have you got burdens? Have you got worries this morning? You know, when these come on me, a lot of times when I come to address these from the pulpit, I always go back to the psalms. I always go back to these psalms because there is such a realness and authenticity, a, a relatability to them that I don't see. I don't see in many other places in Scripture. You here, you can find sympathy for what you're going through and hope that you're going to get through it. And I think that's what we see here in Psalm number thirty. It's a psalm of both trouble and victory of weeping and of joy. And I think the central message is the title of the sermon. It's the God who changes things. The God who changes things. We need to trust in the one that is bigger than our problems. Trust in the one that can move heaven and earth to deliver us. Trust in the one that loved us enough to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. Trust in God during the hard times. We need to be reminded of that quite often. Now, I want to highlight for you this morning, uh, one of the, uh, studying this psalm, someone said there's five great movements or sections to this psalm, and I want to draw a theme from each one of those. So I've got five things I want to show you here this morning uh, from here, the things that God can change. And I, I hope it's a comfort and encouragement to all of us this morning. The first thing I want us to see is in the first three verses. And I want us to see that God can turn death into life. God can turn death into life. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. You ever felt like David did right there? You're just so overwhelmed. You're so burdened that you just feel like you're already buried in a tomb, that there's no escape, there's no hope. You're just as good as dead. Many of the, the scholars and people I looked at books and stuff I read on this passage, they, they, they all seem to think that David has probably gone through an illness that he's hinting at, that maybe he was so sick they thought he wouldn't make it. Yet he pulled through it, and that may be what he's hinting at right here. To be honest with you, I'm tired. I'm tired of death right now. I'm tired of the shadow of death threatening people that I care about. You know, there's those out there, you might call them a fatalist, you might call them a nihilist. They might say that, well, it doesn't matter, life doesn't matter, death's inevitable, just whatever. Case or also live your life. I heard someone say once that, uh, that from the moment you're born, that first breath, you know, the doctor spanks you on the bottom and you take that first breath and you start to cry, that from that moment you start to die. 
it's all downhill from that point. By the way, from a theological standpoint, that's not God working, that's sin working. Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man, that's Adam, didn't say by God, by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin through the curse, so death passed upon all men that all sinned. Well, is there no hope? We're, we're, we're struggling, and you think, well, all, all we are, the, the old saying is you go out to the cemetery and you look at the, the tombstone, and it has the dates on there, you know, 1882 to 1930, and that little dash in between there, that's all that your life matters. Is there no hope for us? Why, yes, there is. There's hope. By the way, you keep reading Romans chapter 5. You get down to verse 15. For if through the offense of one man, that's Adam, many be dead, talking about sin, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. By the way, what did, what did Christ say on the subject of death? He said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. What did He say? I am the resurrection, in John 11, and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yeah, by the way, think about this. Every funeral we have record of Jesus going to, He broke up. I'm sure He went to more. But there's three funerals, it seems like He went to Lazarus, and then the, there's a little girl, and then the widow's name that they met Him going he broke up three funerals. He's the God of life. Only God can turn death into life. Only He can give eternal life to those dead in their sins. Only He can give promise of deliverance and everlasting life beyond the grave. Only God can change death into life. The second thing I want us to see in this psalm is that God can turn weeping into joy. God can turn weeping into joy. Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment, in His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Sometimes you'll hear folks say, well, where was God when? And there's a blank there. You can fill in the blank. I don't know how many times. It's hard to believe it's over 20 years ago now, but you used to hear this a lot with 9-11. Where was God when 9-11 happened? Where was God when this tragedy happened? When this, this terrible accident? Where, where was God? By the way, it's strange to me. No one ever seems to ask that when things are going good. When the sun is shining, when a new baby's born, nobody goes, where was God when this happened? We only really seem to question that when there's bad that happens. But let me tell you this. God is good. He's good all the time. You look at verse number 4, it says, Give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. What this, I think, is telling us is that the goodness of God is a key part of His very essence. He could not be holy if He was not good. But just because God is good does not mean everything we experience in this life is good. By the way, I... My wife, and we, were, we were joking about something back, back there a little bit. And, uh, um, I don't remember how exactly it came up. She said something about, said, well, something about teaching kids Bible. And she said, well, said, yeah, I'll teach kids half the Bible or something. You know, she goes, well, what about teaching? She said, don't, don't you, even, you don't even know all the Bible. I said, of course I know all the Bible, you know. Uh, parts I know scare me <laughs> enough. 
But we, we, as much as we try to learn, but I'm going to tell you this, as much as I know the Bible, as much as I've read it, as much as I've studied it, and some of you are beyond that in years and hours put in with your lifetime, can you tell me one verse where it says, God says, I'm going to make your life good. You're never going to have a trouble. You're never going to have a trial. You're never going to share it here. Did I miss that verse somewhere? That buried in the genealogy somewhere, and that, you know, and I just missed it. I don't recall ever seeing that in here. Instead, I see so many countless promises that God has made to be good to us through the hardship, through the trials, through the heartache. I think we abuse Romans 8.28. I think we twist it and stretch it so much it, it, you hardly recognize it when you get done with it. But it's true. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. It says everything's working together for good. And also, by the way, I'll point this out, that's not a blanket promise to everyone in the world. It's for believers. That's the last part of the verse. To them that love God who are the called according to His purpose. That's a very specific group that this applies to. David here, when we, when we look at this psalm, we look at verse number 5, I think that's what he's talking about. He talks about God's anger enduring a moment and then favor and these things. I think what he's saying is that God must judge or purge His own children, but it's not destruction. There may be hard times, but God's working through that for our good. God is restoring to a place of blessing. I thought about this when it comes to this the subject of tears. You know, God knows our tears. Psalm 56, verse 8, the poetic language of the psalm says He keeps them in a bottle. He knows. He has a record. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's a literal bottle or if it's figurative. I think it may be figurative. But, but it's saying God knows. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows how many tears we shed. He knows. We know that Christ Himself wept with those who wept. John 11, 35, everybody's favorite memory verse. Jason preached from it last week. But you know, one day, not now, one day, one day, Revelation 21, verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. It's coming. There shall be no more death. Ready for that. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things that passed away. That isn't here yet. But we have hope it's coming. We have hope that though we may mourn in the night, joy is ahead. Joy is ahead for the child of God third thing I want us to see in verses 6 and 7 is that God can turn our trust from in ourselves, in us, to Him. Verses 6 and 7. There's kind of a little bit of change in tone in these, these two verses. It says, In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by Thy favor, Thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Then it starts, Hey, I've got everything settled. I'm in a good place. And then all of a sudden it says, Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Like everything was going good, but now I'm not so sure about it anymore. David's feeling pretty confident, pretty secure. He's on top of the world. He has power. He has peace. He has prosperity. He thinks he's got it all figured out. 
that God has blessed him to this point. He's, he's reached the pinnacle. He's on that pedestal up there. He's got it made in the shade. But this was a kind of a lesson here, kind of a test, and David failed it. By the way, it's human nature on this. God had blessed David, strengthened David, so that David would trust in God. He'd say, look, look what God did. God brought me this far. But instead, what God, what he did is he got there and David says, I got this figured out. I'm in a good place. I, I, I got this handled. I'm not going to be moved. No one's going to knock me off my pedestal. David kind of gets a big head. He, he falls into some pride here. It's a dangerous place to be. I've seen so many Christians stumble or even fall because they think they've arrived at some high place. They quit relying on God like they ought to. But God has a way of bringing us back to Him. God has a way of making us look back up to Him. You might be wondering, you know, what does this have to do with bringing comfort? I thought this was supposed to be a sermon about comfort. Well, this has everything to do with it. If there's any lesson to be found in the Bible, is that we should trust God and not ourselves. Proverbs chapter number 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. If you want to live a good life, you keep right on trusting him. You keep right on leaning on him. You don't rely on your own strength and your own wisdom and your own will and your own schemes. You trust in God. What the wisest man who ever lived to trust in him. You want chaos in your life? Trust in your own depraved heart, your own thinking. But if you want comfort, you need to fly to the rock of ages. If you need to find shelter in him, trust in God and rest in his promises. Fourth thing I want to see this morning, verses 8 through 10, is that God can turn prayers into praise. God can turn prayers into Verse 8, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. We just talked about David had learned to keep trusting in God. And By the way, this is his test paper he just got in. God's grading it here, okay? This was his essay question. David, what did you learn? And here's what David learned. And by the way, I think God gave him high marks on this. There's three things I want to point out to you in this about prayer. First off, I want you to know that God does hear our prayers. David cries out. He knows that God will hear. Prayer is not a waste of time. I've heard someone say once very secular things. Oh, well, prayer is just a self-therapy, it's talk therapy. You just talk it out and you feel better. And that, that's not the truth. The most powerful thing about prayer is that we have a God who hears. We have a God who answers our prayers. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are, are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. Second, and the second, the second third thing is kind of overlapping a little bit. I'm going to say this about prayer number two. Prayer changes us. What you see here is David is repenting 
from his sinful pride and he's turning back to humility before God. I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll start praying one way and God's kind of working and saying, yeah, that's not quite right, Matt. Let's, uh, let's, let's turn this. Have you thought about this? Have you... And God will just kind of redirect your heart and mind and you may start praying a totally different direction from what you start out on. God works on us through our prayer. And I will say this, and this is very similar to the third thing, is that prayer recalibrates us. Prayer recalibrates us. Best word I can think of for this. But what happens we see here is that David is moving his trust from himself back to God. When we pray, our prayers help to realign our hearts and our minds with that pole star, with that standard, with the goal that, uh, that is God's truth. True prayer doesn't just change our circumstances. It changes us. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds. It changes our outlook. So God can turn our prayers into praise. The fifth thing I want us to see here is in the last two verses, 11 and 12. God can turn signs to seen. God can turn signs to seen. Thou hast turned me from my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may praise to Thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto Thee forever. Here we see the end of the transformation in David's heart. God's brought him from death to life. He's brought him from proud self-reliance to humility and trust in God. And it's a, it's a dramatic change. And it's so beautifully laid out here, I think. Gone is the sackcloth and ashes that they would wear. The, the Hebrews, when they were mourning, they put on the, these rough garments. and all, But all that's gone. It, it's, it's in, in, in what he has here instead is he's put on his, his celebration clothes. Uh, they would have special clothes sometimes to wear to like weddings and things like that. So he's changed from the, the garments of mourning to the garments of celebration and joy. I tried to figure it out and put that kind of in our modern. And I'm wearing my black, I'm wearing my, uh, this is my M&B suit, my Marion Berrien suit, you know. Uh, I have black suit for that, you know, be a preacher. But, but, you we don't do as much nowadays wearing black. You know, 100 years ago, that was always a big thing. It always struck me funny. Also, Victorian people would have a whole closet full of black clothes. It just always seemed to be black. Anyway. But it's like taking that funeral suit. you got your black funeral suit on. It's like taking it off and putting on a Christmas sweater. That's the change. I don't own a sweater, but y'all can relate to that, okay? It's like taking off the clothes from a funeral and getting ready to go to a go to a party to celebrate with joy and festivity. That's the change that's hinted at in these clothes. Gone are the words of complaint, the prayers for deliverance. In their place, there's joyous songs of praise. Now I want to point out something here to you in the first part of verse number 12. The language here is a little tricky. I think there's something very wonderful here if you can wrap your mind around it. It says, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. Uh, one of the commentaries I was using back there, uh, he, he, he said, this is very tricky. He talked about some people think this way, that way. 
He said, and, and this guy, he said, this is the way I would say this. And he said, this is the way I would translate this. And he said he would say it this way. So that glory will psalm you and not be silent. So that glory will psalm you. Makes that psalm a verb. And, uh, and not be silent. It says to the end. That's the so. It tells us why God was working through us in our suffering. This is where God wants to bring us to. We get through all this so, so that the end, God's glory. Then we have glory here. This one's tough. Some people say, oh, this is talking about like the human soul or heart or tongue. There's a bunch of different opinions on this. But I think it misses the mark because I think this glory, and the word literally is glory right here, is the wonder and splendor of what God had worked in the life of David and in the life of us. You can apply that to us. It's not David's glory. David didn't lift himself up. David didn't do all. God lifted David up from the shepherd boy to being the great king over the golden age of Israel. God got the glory through what happened with David. That glory, that masterpiece accomplished by God in the life of David. By the way, when you go to an art museum and you go up to a painting and my goodness, isn't that beautiful canvas? Isn't that beautiful paint? We don't talk like that. When you walk up to a beautiful painting, you say, my goodness, look what Vincent van Gogh did with this. Look what Bierstein did. Uh, you know, we say, look what da Vinci did. Look what this master did. We don't say, look at the paint. By the way, that's what it is with our lives. God gets the glory. We're just the dirt and the clay. What we get molded into is not about us. It's what the Master has done in molding and shaping us. The glory we have is His glory. And we just give it back to Him. It can't be silent. It sings His praises for a living testimony, a living trophy of grace, His will. Bottom line, the testimony of our lives should bring people to praise God. We'll wrap this up. We'll do something a little bit different here. You know me, I usually like my three or four comments here to wrap things up. And I want to I want to do something a little bit different here. I've got just a couple things. I'll show you one more thing about this psalm. I kind of skipped over this. I want to go back, but I think this also speaks of hope. When you, when you read this psalm, there's heartache, there's trials, there's trouble, but there's also the joy and the celebration. There, there's so much in this psalm. It's amazing. But I want us to um, look at the heading of this psalm. We don't, I might mention these in passing sometimes. I've been saying this is a psalm of David. How do we know that? Because it says so in the heading. Psalm 30, and then right below that, you have the heading. It says, uh, a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. So this, has, this is one that David wrote. And no one seems to question that. This was a song. Uh, anyway, it's, first off, it's, it's described as, as both a psalm and a song. It's very interesting. There's a handful of psalms that have this in their titles, in these, uh, these little headings. Probably meant that it's uh, both to be sung with instruments. They said that's probably more of a psalm. 
and then the song was be more uh, just unaccompanied. So it's a very multi-purpose psalm, if you will. Second, it's for the dedication of a house. And this is another fun little thing. You get different ideas on this. The word there is a house. Some people say it's a temple. Some people say it's David's palace. There's at least six or seven different theories I'm not going to burden you with, but it's for the dedication of a house. By the way, that's a big deal in the Jewish world. Now, I'll point this out to you. You can write this down, study this out. There's not a lot on this, but Deuteronomy chapter number 20 and verse number 5. There's a whole list of things that people can be excused from going to war. One of the things you can be excused in the Jewish world from going to war is not having dedicated your house yet. That shows you how big a deal this is. Deuteronomy 20, verse 5. And the officer shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate So here's your, here's, here's your get out of uh, the draft card. Just don't dedicate your house for a while. And, you know, that's not how this works. But this is how big a deal this is, this dedicating. And when they dedicate the temple and palaces, this is a very big deal. That's why David wrote a whole psalm for whatever this is. What is it? The word there literally means house. Is it the temple? Could be. It's called, it's called the house of God. Is this David's palace? Could be. Uh, there's all kinds of different ideas on this. Uh, one theory I read I kind of like, it has to do with the house of David is like his dynasty. Uh, it takes it a little bit further out, but it's a very interesting deal. I can't tell you for sure what house or building is being dedicated, but I can say that this psalm is a psalm of new beginnings. It's a psalm of hope for the future. Just like you would do when you're dedicating a new house. Sometimes you know, a church will build a new building. We'll have a dedication service, and we'll do special things. I think of those battleships when they build the battleships and they, they slap the champagne against it, you know, and it goes sliding off in the water. All these dedication deals like that. It's a start. It's a beginning. This is a psalm of a fresh start. If there's a lesson in here, it is, yes, things seem dark. Yes, it just seems like you're buried in your grave already. It seems like you've lost track. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like you've you're, you're, you've, you've given into your pride, you've lost your way. But don't give up. Don't give up when things get hard. Keep your eyes on God. Trust in Him. He is the God of new beginnings, of joy after mourning, of hope after despair. As musicians come, our theme has been, for this sermon, a God who changes things biggest change there is in human life is that of salvation. I ask you this morning, has God changed your life? Has He changed your heart? Has He changed your soul? Have you been born again? That's the greatest change that He performed. We go from being hopeless to an everlasting, unmovable hope. We get to change where our Black heart of sin, our, our record of guilt before God is washed clean through the blood of the Lamb. Well, we're not just made innocent. We're given the innocence and the, the pure record of God Himself. He gives us 
is Christ. An amazing thought. Do you have that this morning? By the way, if you have that, you'll know deep down in the back of your heart. God whispers, and the Spirit whispers to you, says, God can save your soul. Whatever trouble you face, Do you know him this morning? If you'll stand, please, we'll have a time of invitation. What number there? 326 in the Babs Hymnal, if you'll sing along with the, uh, with the invitation song. We'll have a short time of invitation here after the prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, is entering into this morning, this week. It's been a rough week for some folks. I almost feel unworthy to complain about having a a water well frees up when so many people are dealing with the loss and dealing with the, the, the medical reports and things that they're dealing with. Lord, as we look up to you, though, with our hearts troubled and burdened, we look up to you, we know that you here. We know you love us. We know you are good. Lord, I'm so thankful that you step in and you can change. You can turn our trials and the blessings. You can turn our mourning joy. You can turn a lost a lost sinner into one of your saints. Lord, give us that hope. Direct our eyes upward. Let us trust in you. Know that no matter what we face down here, we can rely on you. That you will change things. At the end, my how wonderful it's going to be in that day all the tears are washed away in death and war. We have that hope in us. Lord, I pray that these thoughts are of comfort to others as they have been to me this morning. Comfort our hearts, I pray.